2: Oh, it's a Monday here on Birds 365. We're ready to talk football with you all week. Week four of Birds 365. We're getting the hang of this thing, or at least I think we are. We would be uh, Jody McDonald and my partner, John McMullen, the Mac and Mac guys. Johnny Mac, how was your weekend?
3: Uh, It was good, Jody. Gearing up for a big draft week. uh, Did a Sports Illustrated mock draft. Getting ready to get stabbed in the arm for a second time. Got a lot of stuff going on today. Well, good luck with the
2: stabbing in the arm. I'm assuming that would be COVID shot number two.
3: That is correct. Got to get it done. Got to get it done. Uh, Nah the best week to get it done but uh crossing fingers it when you got it scheduled you you didn't have control
2: of it uh yours truly went through it i hope that you are much like me unfortunately for you oftentimes you're not uh, when it comes to football predictions (laughs) and knowledge but i hope in covid world you are like me because i got both of my shots and my second shot i had no issues It was a little sore where I got my uh, arm poked, but uh, after that, I was perfectly fine. My wife got her second shot a week to 10 days before me. We were just a little off on the days. Man, it wiped her out. She was on the couch for 24 straight hours, couldn't do anything. Me feeding her is not a good thing. Her feeding me is a very good thing. Me trying to feed her doesn't really work too well in this household, but she was completely wiped out within... 48 hours, she was fine, and uh, no side effects thereafter, but when she first got that second shot, she was wiped out, so I'm hoping you fall into the same category as me. No issues whatsoever, so uh, you're back with me right here on Birds 365 Yeah, I'm tomorrow. hoping.
3: Just from, I was told by Xander, our producer, that Eitan had to tap out after his second shot for a show, from, so from that alone, I'm going to be here. Yeah, oh, I'm going to be here. Y-
2: y- you, you cannot reproduce a Xander yeah. effort, huh?
3: Now, because Shander ripped me last week, so I got to rip him for not getting up and doing the show. So suck it up. get I'm it gonna, done. Yeah, suck it up. Hey, you got to hydrate. I'm going to hydrate. So we'll see how it
2: goes. <laughs> Feel free to hydrate during the show here today. Uh, we've got plenty to cover for you, and two, including two good guests. Uh, our very own D-Gun, who is going to be a big part of the draft coverage right here on the Jacob Media News Channel. Um, it should be fun to catch up with D-Gun. He knows a lot of the current day Eagle players. Will try and see if he's got a good grasp on who the new Eagle players will be as per the draft uh, this later on this week. And then Jeff McClain covers Eagles day in day out. One of Johnny's competitors and cronies on the Eagles beat cronies. Wow! Would you call? How would you call? How would you term your relationship with Jeff McClain? Uh,
3: I have a lot of respect for Jeff. I will say this: there's a lot of us. And I'll say it right here. I'll say it in public. The best reporter that covers the Eagles is Jeff McClain. Really? Yeah. Why? Because he's good. He's good at it. Okay. Um, you see all his sort of work exposed in the Eagles sort of disconnect between their personal personnel department, uh, coaching staff, scouting department, owner, analytics, all these different sort of points uh, that create inconsistency. Um He's good at it. And that's that's the bottom line. You know, people rip Jeff, fans rip Jeff because they perceive some things as negative, but they've never they've never come out and said he's wrong. Nobody's ever said any of his stories, any of his reports turned out to be incorrect. And that's the bottom line. When you're a reporter, you're trying to get information.
2: Here's what I'll say about Jeff McClain, Uh, and I'm not on the beat with him, uh, as you are. I'm just a a reader and intaker of uh, all his knowledge. He does play both sides of the fence. In a world in which we now live, where basically, I'm talking more on the political side than a sports side, but don't kid yourself, it falls on the sports side too, where everybody's got to take sides. Either you have to be a unquestioned Homer and only point out what's good about players and teams and the like, or you're a hater and you you just live for all the missteps that an organization takes and you harp on them no end. Jeff McClain plays both sides, and that's what I like. I've always been a guy. Objectivity. Who wants to be. That's exactly. the
3: same thing. I mean, I, I say it all the time. I get if you. If you want raw, raw, this boom, bop, you know, there's eagles.com. There's plenty of people. You're not going to get it here, number one. I'm going to tell you the straight skinny. I think you do, Jody. Jeff certainly does. And that used to be the sort of regular course for people who did this job. Not so much anymore. So no. if you're looking for only positivity, I'm, I never turn people away. I want you to listen to us on Jacob Media want to listen to us on Philly Boys, watch us uh, on demand on the YouTube channel. But if you're looking for just positivity, positivity, you know, this is not the place for you. <laughs> no, uh, we're going to try and give you both sides of the story,
2: and uh, let's not uh, try and delude anyone. they couldn't be positive. We're it only be that positive. far removed from them being the best team on the face of the planet and bringing home yeah. a Lombardi trophy. They also went 4-11-1 this year, and we're not going to try and put a smile face on that. It was a pretty damn bad season. Uh, So, yes, we're going to give you both, and that's why a guy like Jeff McClain is great to get on, because I think he does a very good job at giving you both sides of the story. All right, that's our uh, guest list for a little later on the show. But first, J-Mac, which are you? Because I'm kind of caught in between. I'm excited because now the countdown is on, and we are only... You could actually say three days if you want to check this one off as a date. It already counts, even though it's still pretty damn early here on the East Coast. Um, yeah, got to get through it. Three plus days before we get to the first pick and the Jacksonville Jaguars are on the clock and the 2021 NFL draft commences. Or you can say, man, how long have we been waiting for this? It just seems like it's been forever because and I, I, I can probably figure out why I feel this way the Eagles were not big players in free agency this year. We knew full well that was going to be the case. Um, They didn't have a lot of cap room to start the offseason. Howie Roseman had to redo a whole bunch of contracts just for them to get down under the cap. (laughs) Then they took a big hit when they traded off uh, Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz was scheduled to make a lot of money, but his dead cap hit was huge too, so that affected what they were or weren't going to be able to do under the cap. So it it didn't come out of left field. I'm not critiquing the Eagles for the fact that they didn't have a lot of cap room. They put themselves in that position well before this offseason got underway. But we haven't had exciting free agent contracts to talk about, new additions to the Eagles. They've made a couple of decent pickups with the very little room that they've had. I give them that much credit, but we're we're not the New England Patriots, who basically signed a whole new team this offseason. So, to me, it just seems like this draft can't get here soon enough because it's been an off season of just kind of pick, choose, slight addition. All right, that guy's gone. We haven't had all that much to sink our teeth into.
3: Well, I think, you know, you bring up good points. We had Andrew Bryant on the show. Friday. I think he explained it beautifully. I mean, if you're in one of these... Fantasy football leagues, and you're putting together teams, and you got 200 million uh, in in phony money. You get one. You get everybody else starts with 200. You start at 165. That's essentially what it means, and what the Eagles did with Carson Wentz. So you can imagine all the hurdles put in front of you. And yeah, we talk about sports all the time, Jody. Not just the NFL. Sports are cyclical in every sport. And the Eagles are in a cycle, whether you want to call it rebuild, what you want to call it transition, as Shepard Laurie has used that term. They had to make targeted free agent signings. I think they made a couple good ones in Anthony Harris and Eric Wilson. At least they made sense for this team at this particular time. And we'll see how it shakes out long term. But Yeah, I mean, typically the Eagles are one of those teams that are involved with every rumor, every conversation because of Howie Roseman's history. They can't be involved with big-name, high-priced players right now. Next year, we'll get back to that, and and the Eagles will be in a position. We might be talking about Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, uh, whomever. Uh, They will be in a position, but this year they had to take their medicine, and they took a big gulp of it. So, they couldn't do a lot of things.
2: Johnny Mack and I have differing opinions on what the Eagles should be doing in the first round with their pick at number 12, which we're assuming that's where they're picking. We know there is the possibility <laughs> that they could still trade back up. Don't think it's going to be all that high. They had six. If they were going to try and get that uh, far up, why would they even trade uh, back up to that spot? They could trade backwards and Add some extra draft capital. They've already done that with their moving from six down to 12. Don't know either one of those is going to happen. As John just alluded to, you never know with Howie Roseman. He does like to play Monty Hall on draft day. That's, I think, actually one of his strengths as a general manager. He plays the draft maneuverability <laughs> game pretty damn well. Now, then you got to pick the right player, whether he move up or move down. And that hasn't always been a hit for the Eagles during the Howie Roseman era, but I do like the way he negotiates uh, a draft board and uh, the trades and getting the value the way that he does. John and I see this differently if they do sit at number 12. John thinks they're going to stick to their Eagle history, which is inside, in the trenches, quarterback. If they're in the top half, first half of the draft, they go inners. I think they're going outer. I think it's going to be a cornerback or a wide receiver. I think it should be a cornerback or a wide receiver. Let me ask you about something that happened in the league during this uh, past weekend, John. The Kansas City Chiefs, who came up short in the Super Bowl this year, had the chance to be back-to-back champions. Randy Reed and Tom Brady and the Bucks got the better of them in a the big game this year. One of the issues they had was the offensive line in the Super Bowl. Now, a little bit was bad luck, a couple of injuries. A lot and of it to... was
3: bad luck. Right. A they had, it
2: ju- luck. had to juggle a little bit, but... They also basically redid their entire offensive line this offseason. And they didn't do that just because guys got hurt going into the Super Bowl. They had value judgments on some of the players there and were ready to move off and go in another direction. They added to that this weekend, uh, by picking up Orlando Brown from the Ravens, kind of a convoluted trade where they're getting Baltimore is getting an extra pick, but they're swapping a whole bunch of other picks with the Ravens being able to move up in rounds. It's all tied to the draft value chart, which, again, is a big topic of conversation this week. And I think it gets overplayed because of that. But Orlando Brown is a pro bowl level offensive lineman who's playing right tackle for Baltimore. He always thought of himself as a left tackle, wanted to be a left tackle. They weren't going to move him to left tackle. So he kind of talked his way out of Baltimore, but he is one of the best offensive linemen. I think that's where you're getting confused, John. Andy Reid believes offensive line, offensive line, defensive line, keep it in the trenches. He went out and gave up some pretty good draft capital to be able to get uh, Brown this weekend. I don't know that that still happens with the Eagles. Andy Reid doing the right thing, uh, putting a lot of resources, money and picks and everything in front of Patrick Mahomes.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think Andy knows he was basically an Eric Fisher injury in the championship game and a Mitchell Swartz injury from going back to back. I mean, you talk about luck. You talk, if those two guys are out there, I firmly believe the Kansas city chiefs are super bowl champions again. So um, that's what he's looking at. And, um, Eric is coming off a torn Achilles. Again, it happened in the championship game and that's obviously a long rehab. So you don't know if he's going to be ready in September. Um, Mitchell Swartz, uh, tricky, you know, I think it was a back injury. So that can be tricky. Um, You know, but they went out in free agency and got Joe Thune, who a lot of people thought was the best available option free agency, so he'll play left guard. As you mentioned, Orlando Brown's going to be their new left tackle, Um, and they also got a new center as well. So, he... Look, you're right. I mean, I always talk about the Eagles' DNA, as you mentioned. That's where it started. And
2: Andy Reid's a- DNA, not necessarily yes. the Eagles' DNA.
3: Well, they have not wavered from it, though. Andy's been gone for a while. They still believe that. Howie Roseman, I've talked to Howie Roseman numerous times. He said, this is the way you build a football team. Joe Banner said the same thing, um, both, on, you know, now that he dabbles in the media uh, both on and off the record. I mean, that's what this team believes. It's more than Andy Reid. Granted, Andy started it with his famous quote from his initial interview, which was, "Give me the quarterback, two pass rushers, two tackles, and two cornerbacks." That's why how you frame this, Jody. I got to correct one thing. I said outside chance, and that's where everybody, everybody is landing on, is corner because Andy valued corner as well. So, I could see the Eagles taking a corner. However, if a Rashawn Slater falls or somebody of that nature, I think they go to their default setting. The big surprise would be the edge rusher, whether it's Quiddy Pay. Um, there is a lot of late hype in this league on Jalen Phillips, who would be a top 10 pick, but he retired from football. A lot of questions, a lot of flags, concussion issues. Look, if he didn't have those issues, He'd be the Eagles pick at 12, but I I don't even think he's going to be on the board. I think they're going to red flag him because of those concussion issues. So there's a lot of avenues, a lot of late hype, but this team still believes in what they believe in. And by the way, that's a good thing because they're not wrong. They're not wrong in their foundational beliefs. Okay. Here's where, uh, yeah, I'll disagree with you. Um, Jalen
2: Rager was the twenty first pick in the draft list. Twenty first, twenty first. So the top half of the draft is the top uh, sixteen. So seventeen down to twenty one. So by four picks, he fell outside the top twenty uh, top half of the first round. Didn't stop him from taking a wide receiver in the first round. No,
3: they they, they took Nelson Aguilar in that range. They took um. There's a third receiver that I'll think of in a second they took in that range. That's what they believe. I will be the first to tell you, Jody, How he's a little obsessed about value. For instance, why he traded back from number six, he had no interest in any of those receivers at number six, none, because he doesn't value a receiver at that position. And I will be the first to admit, I think there are times he gets too obsessed with matching value to the position on the board. If you like a player, take the player. I gave him my Adrian Peterson story a couple uh, weeks ago. Right. Um, I think it's a great story. It's one of my favorite football stories. Tell it
2: again because it's a great story. You were exactly right.
3: Yeah, the Vikings were, I think, at number seven in that draft. They had a really good running back by the name of Chester Taylor, who was coming off a 1,200-yard season. They had a lot of other needs. They certainly didn't need a running back. They were a bad football team because they were in the top ten, and they picked Adrian Peterson. So I asked one of their personnel people, I said, what are you doing? you got needs all over the place. And Chester's a good back. And he said, fuck Chester Taylor. We can curse him. Uh, and, and by the way, it wasn't an insult. As I said, he said, he's a really good player. This is a this is a superstar player. And they turned out to be right. It's going to be a Hall of Famer, 2,000-yard season. Can you imagine a running back winning the MVP award? Adrian Peterson did that in modern football. That's how good he was um, at, at the height of his career. I agree with that philosophy. If you like a player, even if the position is devalued, go get him. That part, I think it's it's legitimate criticism of Howie Roseman. I think he gets a little bit too obsessed on matching the value of the position with the pick in the draft. But that's the Eagles. That's what they do.
2: Well, then let me critique slash criticize Howie Roseman in advance before it ever happens. You know how big a Devonta Smith fan I am. I'm seeing that many more mock drafts this weekend, and everybody's putting their Uh, Mock draft part three, part six, part 12, however long you've been doing your mock drafts leading up to this week. uh, So be it. A whole bunch of them have Devonta Smith on the board at 12 when the Eagles have the pick. If they don't take Devonta Smith, I'm going to be critical. I'm going to lambaste them. What was it <laughs> you just called Adrian uh, Peterson a superstar? And that's yeah. why the Vikings took him, even though they had a very fine running back already in their stable. I will say the same thing about Devonta Smith. I think he's got a chance to be a superstar. I don't know that either of the two cornerbacks, I think they've got a chance to be real good. I don't know if either one of them will be a uh, off-time pro bowler. Uh, I had you just double check something for me before the show started. The last time the Eagles had a homegrown wide receiver as first team all pro was none other than their color analyst on their radio broadcasts, Mike Quick. That's a while ago. Love Mike. Yeah. He's still phenomenal doing Eagle games with Meryl Smith. I actually call him a friend, and I don't have to gild the lily here. He was a phenomenal wide receiver. The Eagles weren't always great when Mike mis- Mike was here. He had a yeah. uh, <laughs> better days starting to go behind him, Ron Jaworski, and then a very young, not quite ripe yet, Randall Cunningham is his quarterback, and he still made first-team All-Pro. The Eagles have not had a first-team all-pro wide receiver since. I think Devonta Smith is that type of talent. And if the Eagles pass on him and go in another direction, stick with their DNA, take Rashawn Slater, uh, reach for a uh, pass rusher like Pay, I think they're going to be hearing about it for years and years and years to come.
3: Well, (laughs) hey, I'm impressed. Look, Jody, if you believe in a player like you believe in a player, you should take that player. The Eagles should have taken him at number six. I do not think Devontae Smith is going to be an Adrian Peterson-level superstar. You know, Peter King wrote his uh, column, whatever it's called, Football Morning in America now. Albert Breer does Monday Morning Quarterback now. But, you know, he mentioned, The wide receivers since 2016 in the first round, they averaged about 42 catches a year. But I I don't even want to talk about the average first-round receiver because there's been so many overdrafted. I want to talk about the best first-round receiver, and that's Justin Jefferson. And it sticks in the craw of Eagles fans to this day. And he had 1,400 yards receiving and he went off. He had a historic season as a rookie wide receiver in the NFL. And what did that do for his team? They got worse. Not his fault. I, you, I was going to say, you know that Justin Jefferson
2: had nothing to do with the Eagles. No. With the Vikings backing up last
3: year. Not his fault. But there was only so much impact you can have on the game as a receiver. That's it. You could be Julio Jones. You could be Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson, I gave you that example, might be the best example of all time because that's one of the best receivers that ever lived, ever lived. He was so dominant from a physical, from a talent perspective, number two overall pick in the draft, first ballot Hall of Famer, even though he shortened his career and retired early. You can't say enough good things about Calvin Johnson. His entire tenure in Detroit, pretty bad football teams because there was only so much he can do. The value of that position is going to take you down and in and, and my notch. And we had Blake Beddenfield, He said the same thing. Three positions, quarterback, edge rusher, offensive tackle. It's not just the Eagles, Jody. That's the 20-year scouting director of the Tennessee Titans. And while I don't
2: disagree with that philosophy, uh, a lot of the conversation, Peter King making his point, you making your point, are uh, across the board, just totally looking at the compilation of a team. And I agree that there are other positions that are more important, that are more vital to overall team building and being able to put together a championship team. But you're looking at things in a vacuum when you're talking about a draft at hand. You have to be able to pick the best player that's available to you at that time. If there isn't, and I've talked about this on infinitum for the last several weeks, this is, and I've gotten both with you and on my radio shows, uh, a bunch of guys who are in the league and evaluate the talent and the guys in this draft. There is no edge rusher that deserves to be taken in the top uh, half of this draft. You're going to see Quidi Pay go pretty early. Uh, New York okay. Giants, no, no. number 11. Either either <laughs> you didn't comprehend what I said or you didn't hear what I said. Shouldn't go. My Shouldn't opinion. Go. Yeah. An edge rusher does not deserve to go in the top half of this draft. It, he, th- There is none. No one played to that level where you say, ooh, he's got to be a top 10 pick. He's got to be a top 12 pick. He's got to be a top 16 pick. There wasn't one. I don't believe that. All right, Jalen Phillips at one Jalen point Phillips had did. some very good numbers, but yeah. with all of those red flags and question marks that is going to affect where he should be picked and what his value is coming into the draft. That's what I'm saying about a draft. If you're talking about overall strategy, how do you build a team? How do you over time get strong at these positions and be able to just have competent players at other positions? There's more than one way to skin a cat. There are multiple drafts over a period of time. Uh, There are multiple rounds within the draft. There is free agency. There's a lot of ways that you can build a team properly that you think can compete for a Super Bowl. But when you're on the clock in a round, first round being the most important, you have to take the best available player at that time. And if the best available player is Devonta Smith, I don't care if you need two of them to be able to build an offensive lineman because he's only 160 pounds and change. I'm taking that football player because he is the best player at that time in that slot.
3: Well, I would say you're in a different vacuum. I, there, there are vacuums, and I've talked about fit as well. Look, if you're going to say Devontae Smith is Adrian Peterson at his position, I agree with you. So that's where the disconnect starts, because then I would agree with you. That is an all-time level player at the wide receiver position. I don't think he's an all-time level player at the wide receiver position. I I think he's got a chance to be very good. I don't think we're going to be talking about him like Calvin Johnson. Adrian Peterson is Calvin Johnson at his position. Agreed. In my opinion. Now, the other part of the vacuum that I think you're disconnecting that I talked about a little bit on last week's show as well is fit. The Eagles need an X receiver. They don't need a Z receiver. They firmly believe one of the reasons Nick Sirianni is here and by the way, this also comes into effect with Jalen Waddle as well, is because they don't want to give up on Jalen Rager. They want him on the field. They think he has an opportunity to still be a good player in this league. And, oh, by the way, I agree with him. Now, I don't think he's going to be as good as Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle. However, there's a lot of redundancy between those, two, those three players as far as their styles, as far as how they play. The Eagles need the Alshon Sean Jeffrey type, especially with a young quarterback. Because when we talk about dual threats, Jody, bottom line, the NFL, you're going to have a third and seven. But you know, you watch Aaron Rodgers play. Watch, you know, old Chicago tape of Jay Cutler throwing it to all Sean Jeffrey. One of the easiest conversions in football, it's that third and seven is that back shoulder at the sticks. Eagles don't have that on this team, unless you believe Travis Fulgham or J.J. Ortega-Whiteside could develop into that. Now, even if you do, by the way, then the fact that you have Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager means one of them is going to be the slot receiver, which is fine. I think they could both do it, but then they're playing less. And, and, you know, probably 60 65% of the time. And in theory, you want your best players on the field more than that at the receiver position. So I think fit is part of it as well, and that the Eagles would prefer an X receiver, say Terrace Marshall from LSU. That second pick at 37, I think that's the perfect player receiver for the Eagles if he falls to that slot, and that's a big if
2: right and i hear what you're saying give me the best football player uh, you'll remember that uh eagles press conference last week nick sirianni did talk about wide receivers coming in different sizes and packages that he's coached guys in xyz that were six foot two built like tight ends and five foot nine and not 180 pounds nick sirianni believes in talent and he believes that he's going to be able to coach these players up and get them to be able to uh, achieve in the position that he's going to put them in, as long as they understand his system. Uh, and that buoyed me, because to me, that meant that they are seriously considering a guy. Well, like I don't know how
3: team. much uh, impact Nick Sirianni is going to have on the draft, but I agree with you. He brought up T.Y. Hilton. So hold next.
2: on. I, I got to interrupt you. All of that collaboration stuff they gave us in the press conference the other day, that was a load of crap. Is that what you're telling me, McFarlane? Because it sounded to me like, I thought at one point Andy Waddle was going to get up and go over and at least give uh, Coach Sirianni a hug, if not a kiss. Because they were getting along so well. And the understanding of the scouting staff of what Nick Sirianni wants out of his player. Are you telling me that was all just for ego fan's sake that that's not really happening in all these pre-draft
3: meetings hey who knows it hasn't happened in the past that's why i'm happy we have that was e. p.,
2: and we found yeah. out after
3: the fact that yeah. they never really trusted dougie p to nope. do
2: anything other than call nope. plays
3: so maybe they do trust nick Siriani. who knows uh, you know who knows but he did mention ty hilton look you got to do a lot of things to get off the line of scrimmage because i can tell you if the physical cornerbacks in this league and the Richard Sherman types, the the Patrick Petersons, the Xavier Rhodes, who Jonathan Gaddon had in Indianapolis, if they see DeMonte Smith or Jalen Waddell at the line of scrimmage, because that's what the X is, that's that is the split end. That's the guy that's got to be on the line of scrimmage that beats press coverage, they're they're gonna be chomping at the bit to get that jam on him. And you got to get off the line of scrimmage if you're playing X. I don't know if Devontae Smith or Jalen Model can do that consistently. No, Uh,
2: every scouting report I read, one of the strengths for Devontae Smith was the fact that he can get off press coverage.
3: As as a Z receiver, which is the flanker who's off the line of scrimmage, who you can scheme open because they're not going to get that jam in their face. That's what the scouting reports say.
2: He is John McMahon. I am Jody McDonald. We are the Mackleback guys here on birds 365. We'll get our first time out of the day in and then our buddy Derek Gunn, who's going to be a big part of the draft coverage. All right. Here on the Jacob media channel is going to join us. We'll talk Eagles draft with D gun next here on birds 365.
4: If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.
5: The, 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 middle. the Middle. Did you hear that sound? Yeah. That, that know, iron shot? We if you on. want
6: to talk about a solid golf shot, that's what it sounds like.
0: There are very yeah. few
6: sounds of purity. That's oh. as pure as it gets. Oh. I've never heard it before. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you and me both, brother. Never <laughs> heard it before. Never.
5: <laughs> you and me both at that point. Jeez.
3: <sighs> the Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern.
7: Connecticut School of Broadcasting
6: is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit
0: GoCSB.com.
5: B-A-T-L-E-S-E-O. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network
2: you're watching and listening to Birds 365, here on the Jacob Media channel, Jody McDonald, John McMullen, lucky enough to get our next guest up there. He's going to be a busy guy here on the channel this week, uh, because he's going to be a key part of the draft coverage. Uh, You watch him for years on NBC Sports Belly. Derek Gunn, good enough to get on with us on this uh, Monday morning of draft week. D Gunn, how you doing?
8: Good. How you guys doing this morning?
3: Doing well, Deacon. Good to see you. You ready Likewise. to jump back on the horse? You ready to get into this? It's draft week. Are you getting excited?
8: Yeah, man. You know, um, you know what, the one thing that always tickles me about uh, a draft week is all of these experts who, you know, especially when they hone in on one team like the Eagles, man, you got to draft this, but you, you better draft this. The one thing we know about the Philadelphia Eagles is this. We don't know very much because everything we <laughs> think we know They can and will do something completely the opposite of what we're expecting them to do. I mean, we all know their needs. You know they need a a number one wide receiver, uh, an offensive tackle, a linebacker, uh, a cornerback, you know, so on and so forth. Um, But we don't know what Howie Roseman is going to do. And and here's what I expect from Howie Roseman, to shock us in some way. (laughs) That's the bottom line. you know. And I think that adds to the excitement and the after-draft drama and conversation across all media platforms.
2: I, I'm uh, not surprised you went to Howie Roseman first, because that's where I was going to go with you, D-Gunn. Most people would think if you stepped outside of Philadelphia and you didn't know the inner workings of the Eagles, and we've got a lot of great reporters, including Jeff McClain is going to join us next. Yep. who have been delving into that and painting a picture of the Eagles organization. One would think co- coming off of four eleven and in one year, Howie Roseman would be at a minimum on shaky ground and a hot seat because the team fell as quickly as it did Mm -hmm. from its Super Bowl perch over the last three years. Yet it seems like that's anything but the case here, that he is well entrenched in his own position, that he's got the only ally that matters. The owner uh, has complete and utter confidence in him. If that's the case, that he's not sweating it, even though it may look to some of us like he should be sweating, if not profusely, will that make him more radical, less radical, stick with historical perspective, or be willing to do something that is completely surprising?
8: I think all of the above, you know, plain example. I think if you you go back the last three years, this team has been decimated by injuries in one way or another. The previous two years, they were able to pull a rabbit out of their hat and rally and and make the playoffs. But 2020, the bottom just fell out. And, you know, there's just certain things you can't overcome. I mean, the offensive line was decimated. You relied on a bunch of kids uh, to carry you. Um, You didn't have Deshaun Jackson most of the season. You didn't have Alshon Jeffrey much of the season. Um, And it was – I mean, what did they have, like 14 different offensive line combinations uh, throughout the course of the year, so those things add up, and, and, and Lady Luck just ran itself out in 2020. Now in 2021, we've 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 watched and read several different stories about the inner working mechanisms of what has happened in the Eagles' front office structure. Once again, Howie Roseman is being put out there uh, on an uh, on an island in terms of is his fault. He better rectify this in a hurry. I think Howie understands that while he's been given a reprieve to a certain degree by Jeffrey Lurie, um, that he's on a hot seat. And I don't want to say 2021 is a make-or-break year for Howie, but I will say this, he'd better get these draft picks right in 2021 because, as we are not surprised to see, they basically are starting over. Um, You're basically going to try to rebuild this thing from the ground up. You're going to rely on a much younger team to carry you the way. The offensive line, if Lane Johnson, if Brandon Brooks are healthy, um, the offensive line should be decent, even though right now we don't know the the, the, uh, certainty or uncertainty of what's going to happen at the left tackle position. But you got Jason Kelsey coming back for another year. Uh, Isaac Sayamalu coming back for another year. So the offensive line, I think, is the most stabilizing force on this team right now, as we know it. Now what are you going to do to build around it? And I've said this time and time again, this team has 11 picks. They have as many picks as anybody in the National Football League in 2021. If they get a bunch of kids, and I want to say the first maybe three kids, that contribute significantly, and if we see this team progressing, not so much in terms of wins and losses, but in terms of getting better each and every week, I think this Philadelphia fan base will have more faci- patience because right now, going into this thing, we all agree that this is not going to be a playoff caliber team or a playoff caliber year in 2021. If this is a team that we see growth in, from the time they step on the field in September to the time to, uh, end of the season, I think the future is a lot brighter. And as we know, you know, you don't have to need, you need five six years to turn this thing around. We've seen teams turn it around in less than three years' time. So Howie Roseman has to hit it out of the park in terms of getting youth that will be cornerstones for this organization for years to come.
3: You know, Derek, you bring up an interesting point as far as Howie maybe being on the hot seat, certainly at least a little bit, from, but from a larger perspective, you know, this team is, is under it, you know, for 2021 yep. because yep. of the Carson Wentz dead money, the issue with the pandemic, scaling back the salary cap even further. So they've already kind of set the groundwork for 2022 right. with the potential right. three first-round picks. Yep. So is it even a wise move? I know that fans aren't going to like this, but to me this is a two-year process. right? And the Eagles got to approach it like that. So, you know, is that immediate need? Does that need to be built, or are you building towards 2022? I think you have to have immediate needs also because, I mean, right now, this is a team
8: that's devoid of depth right now. Um, what, what do you have, maybe 33, 34 players that you can count on this team? So you mm-hmm. have to build depth on this team as well. And as you build depth on this team, hopefully you can find a, a few diamonds in the roughs that can get enough significant playing time that could be frontline players for you in 2022. You know, as you look ahead to 2022, you talk about the possibility of three first round picks. Not only that, but you also come from out under this dark cloud of salary cap restraint. You know, so 2022 could be a better year for this team, but it has to start now. You have to start building some of the cornerstone pieces now for this organization and enhance it even more so in 2022, not just by the draft, but also in the free agency market as well in 2022
2: d uh we're talking mostly draft here but i want to tap into your other eagle expertise one of the things i always thought you did the best was had a pulse of the locker room that you got a chance to talk to these guys and build relationships with eagle players so that you can get an insight to what was going down in the locker room and how players dealt with each other yeah but carson wentz removal the trade to indianapolis uh, none of us saw it coming at the beginning of right. the year. We thought that Carson Wentz and his contract kind of uh, pointed to that was going to be the Eagle quarterback for consecutive years to come. It blew up big time this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Santaquito, who we, we had on our first week here on Birds Three Sixty Five, wrote an article a couple of years ago that yep. you know Carson Wentz isn't as beloved as everybody thinks. There are some people in the locker room that don't just jump to when Carson says let's go. Were you surprised that it fell apart as quickly as it did? And the Eagles decided, no, as this has gotten so ugly that we need to move on from our franchise quarterback?
8: Yeah, because everything that I had heard from players in the locker room was, you know, rain or shine. This guy came out to practice. He worked. He acted as a leader. Um, he was a leader on the field. He was, he was what he was supposed to be on the field, uh, a franchise uh, player. He was the face of the organization. He was the highest paid player. Of this organization, um, you don't have to be the most liked guy to be a productive guy, but for whatever reason, everything just fell apart for Carson in 2020. And I think a lot of it had to do with, I mean, look at how many times this man was sacked, look at how many hits, almost over 120 times this man was hit throughout the course of the season. I don't care who you are, punishment takes a toll on you mentally and physically after a while. You can do so much now. Yes, granted, there were a lot of times this man stood back there and missed wide open receivers in the middle of the field, down the sidelines. There were times he held the ball too too long and took some unnecessary punishment as well. Um, but for whatever reason, everything just unraveled for him in 2020. I've never heard a player say a bad word about Carson that I've talked to over the last couple of years. Every player that I've talked to across the board in unison has says, you know what, Carson comes in and puts in the work, and that's all we care about. You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't act standoffish on the field. He didn't act like, you know, the chosen one on the football field. He came in and he did his work. And that's all they, that's all they could ask of him. Whatever else we found out later uh, about tensions between him and Doug <laughs> Peterson, maybe some tensions between him and players in the locker room, that was never evident on the football field. And when he was demoted, after I talked to players again, they said the same mm-hmm. thing. You know what? He's out there helping Jalen Hurts every chance he gets. He's out there coaching this kid up. You know, he didn't pout. Um, He didn't shy away from Jalen Hurts. He didn't shy away from being that so-called leader. From start to finish, whatever we want to say and think about Carson Wentz, he was a consummate professional from start to finish.
3: Yeah, one of the things, and, you know, Derek, we don't get to go into the locker room, obviously, since the pandemic started. But from being in there for years, I think there's this assumption that, you know, 65 You know, people in any industry are always going to get along at every point. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's never made any sense. But I will say this, moving on from Carson to Jalen Hurts, I do get the sense that the strength of Jalen Hurts is people naturally gravitate towards him. People love this kid. Uh, People think he's a leader. It's a little bit interesting to me because he's kind of an introvert on the podium. But behind the scenes, People are just, as I said, they naturally gravitate towards him. So to me, that natural leadership is there. Um, That part of it, I don't even question. The bigger part is, does he have the skill set? Does he have the traits to be a true quarterback one in this league? When you compare him, say, to what you could have had in this draft, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, players like that.
8: That question won't be answered until you actually hit the ground running in September and watch them play. And I don't think we can come up with a definitive answer in the preseason. Now that the preseason has been whittled down to two games instead of four, I don't think we're going to find out our answers then either. You know, I, I love when people go to practices, OTAs, and mini camps, and talk about players. Wow, this player made some great throws down the middle of the field. Uh, wow, great one handed catch. You know, great. Well, Okay, it looks good in practice, but those are controlled environments. When when the bullets start flying for real, and you have an opposition out that's trying to take your head off and, and get the best of you any way possible to enhance what they're doing on the other side of the football, that's when we truly find out what we have and what we don't have. Plus, we don't actually know what Nick Sirianni's offense is going to look like catering to a Jalen Hurts right now as well, so... We can sit here and debate what we have or what we don't have in a Jalen Hurts at this point, but it's meaningless because we only have a four-game sample uh, of what Jalen Hurts is. And let's face it, he 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 went through the baptisms, the trial and error of those last four games. He made some great plays in some situations, and he made some rookie mistakes in other situations. Now he's got to get used to an entirely new coaching staff, a new offense. And, oh, by the way, you're not going to have in-person Voluntary camps to get some uh, some experiences. It looks like it's going to be virtual for the Eagles in terms of the voluntary uh, minicamp. We don't know what the the May and June OTAs and minicamps are going to look like because we know the NFLPA is pushing for every team to have virtual uh, OTAs yeah. and mini camps up until training camp starts in late July or August whenever teams go to camp. Far behind the eight ball, this guy's going to be, you know, trying to understand and grasp what a Nick Sirianni offense looks like by way of virtual meetings every day. Big difference when you're doing, looking at it on, 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 on camera compared to getting out there and actually going through physical reps.
2: Gun, you mentioned the Deedles type 11 draft picks coming up in this upcoming draft, which is a nice number. It's a big number, as a matter of yeah. fact. Seven rounds, 11 picks is good. However, a bunch of those picks are in the last and next to last round, so they're not going to be givens as players. They're going to be more lottery tickets than anything else. With the uh, number of picks that the Eagles have, do the Eagles have enough weapons around Jalen Hurts? Or do they have (laughs) to spend some of that high commodity, and that's their first pick, their second Mm -hmm. pick, a couple of third-round picks on weapons? Or does this team need to just... Uh, Not worry about it. Take the value player. Take the best player available. They are in a restructuring mode. Um, Do they draft like that, or do they draft this season as if we're going to be improved? This is a pretty weak division that we could take a run in. How do you think their needs fit their draft and how they use the capital that they have?
8: Well, Jody, as I put out there on social media a little bit less than two weeks ago, that I was told after talking to several people in the know, that if the Eagles stay at number twelve, they are going to uh, hone in on a wide receiver or a cornerback, and I'm going to stick to that as well. Um, yes, do they need to to put some weapons around Jalen Hurts? Absolutely. Uh, we don't have a clear cut number one receiver here. Uh, we don't know what we still don't know what Jalen Ragers is is or isn't. Uh, I don't think we saw enough of him to 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 really come up um, uh, with the determination of what he is. I do think they. They they need to get some uh, better. We don't know Zach Ertz's situation. We don't know if the Eagles are going to use him for trade bait uh, come draft day as well to try to try to move up and maybe either get a player or another high draft pick to get another young piece uh, to surround uh, Jalen Hurts. But we also know they need a lot of significant help on defense. You need uh, you need another uh, a front runner cornerback to be opposite of Darius Slay that Darius Slay can groom. So that's why I'm on the fence in terms of what they're going to do. I think whoever whoever they have at the top of their board, if they stay at number 12 and pick, that's which way they're going to go. But I've been told several times since I put that out there on, on social media, uh, since then, that, that right now the, the mindset for this organization is wide receiver or cornerback, depending who's on the board, at number 12 if they stay at this spot. But again, we know Howie Roseman. There's a possibility yeah. he could trade down. And we also know that this team likes to build from the inside out, offensive line, defensive line. They need an edge rusher as well. They need somebody to complement the guys who are holdovers in the trenches as well on both sides of the football. So I know people feel the sexy pick is that wide receiver. We got to get a wide receiver. But don't be surprised if this team trades down to, to get more picks, number one and number two, to shore up either the offensive or defensive
3: line. Derek Gunn, uh, we're thrilled to have you. He's going to be leading our draft coverage on on Jacob Media, so check him out on the YouTube page all week. We're going to have over 40 hours of NFL draft coverage led by D. Gunn. I can't believe we've gotten this deep into this conversation, Derek. (laughs) I have forgotten to ask you about the head coach because there is this sort of Obviously, we don't know anything about Nick right. Sirianni, as you mentioned, right. what right. what he is as a coach, but just his energy, just his boundless enthusiasm. I thought it was a good thing at the pre-draft availability. Other people look at it, hate the rah-rah stuff. What can you learn about that type of thing and, and this type of coach? Can modern players buy into that uh, overly energetic uh, coach?
8: If you have a, a, a younger roster, uh, yes because you have a bunch of guys who are just happy to be be putting on an NFL uniform. Uh, So yes, you'll have a core group of guys who rally around his energy uh, and his personality. Um, You know, when you listen to a Nick Sirianni, he's a guy who's, who's just happy and shocked in some ways to be a head coach in the national football league. One of only 32 jobs out there, you know, he's being groomed by the Eagles front office on what to say and what not to say when he steps in front of the media I mean let's face it you know he he came from a, an environment where he was an assistant in Indianapolis where you have a fraction of the media you deal with compared to the volume of media you deal with in a market like Philadelphia you know you might have 15 20 guys consistently in your face in Indianapolis you know every day you go to an Eagles practice Eagles locker room after an Eagles game you're talking in excess of 60 70 people throwing microphones in your face so that can be overwhelming and I'm sure when you when you couple in the Eagles coming off a disaster of a season, the franchise quarterback has been traded, the head coach who won you a Super Bowl less than four years ago is no longer there, just about everybody associated with that Super Bowl-winning team in 2017 is no longer here. So you're starting fresh, and you have an owner, and then you have a GM who are on the hot seat, who have now uh, been under the microscope since these two stories came out from Jeff McLean um, and Zach Berman uh, for The Athletic in terms of what goes on behind closed doors for the last few years, possible tension and separation in the front office. So you know, you know the masses are huddled. They want to be unified. Uh, they want to make sure their young head coach doesn't make too many mistakes or say the wrong thing that could start a firestorm. Um, so basically, I know they're keeping it close to the vest. So and, you know, I, I kind of feel for Sirianni because he's handcuffed in terms of what he can say, what he cannot say. And so right now, the only thing he can show basically is excitement and enthusiasm about what he hopes to come, uh, not just in 2020, 21, but beyond that as well.
2: D-Gun, sort of in that vein, my last question is about the guy at the top of the power chart, the owner. Um, yeah. A lot of people have opinions on Jeff Flory. Sure. Oftentimes unfair. Either he's too involved or he's not involved enough. Either he should be doing more, he should be doing less. He should be seen and heard more or he should be seen and heard less. So there's a lot of can't win for Jeff Flory. I think the only fair way to try and judge the job that he's doing as owner of the Eagles is to compare him to the other 31 entities in the league. Mm-hmm. Everyone has an owner. Some are groups. In Green Bay, it's no owner. It's the head of a board. Uh, They're publicly traded. (laughs) But each team has their ownership group. Where do you think Jeff Lurie stacks up with the other owners in the NFL?
8: I think Jeff Lurie um, is, I would have to say, in the top 10 or top 12. You look at what he's done with his organization since he's bought it. Um, He turned his organization around. Jeff Lurie is very passionate about winning. Losing drives him nuts. You know, but he's also he's also the kind of guy who likes to hire people to do their jobs, and he likes to stay involved. But he doesn't want to get too involved unless he has to. In that regard, he he's not Jerry Jones, he's not Robert Kraft, but thank God he's not Daniel Snyder. Also, you know, since two thousand, this is one of the top winning organizations in the National Football League. And I understand they only have one Super Bowl. They've only been to two over that time frame, but. Think goodness we're not the Cincinnati Bengals. You're not the Jacksonville Jaguars where you know lo- you're going to be losing every time you go into a season. Uh, Jeffrey Lurie has given uh, Howie Roseman and, and this and this organization uh, enough leeway to try to do whatever they can to make this team as good as they have. And for the most part, you know, from Andy Reid to Chip Kelly before it fell out to Doug Peterson, up to this point, they've had a lot of success. You know, they were a primetime draw for years. They've gone to playoffs a, a lot of years over that time frame. Um, they've had a lot of great players come through this organization. They, they you know, Their MO has been since hiring Andy Reid is to hire a head coach who didn't have any NFL experience as a head coach. And it has worked for him up to this point in a lot of ways. Uh, but I think now Jeffrey wants to have a little bit more hands-on in terms of day-to-day operations and input. I mean, let's face it, he's the owner. It's his toy. He can do with it whatever he wants. Whether that's good or bad, that remains to be seen, but it is what it is. And I like where Jeffrey Lurie is right now. He doesn't like to be visible too much. as you And as we all know, he only comes out and speaks a couple of times a year, and that's just fine with him. He has other mouthpieces to do that, from, from coaches to your GM, to take the bullets, uh, players, and so on and so forth. So I, I would have to say, based on just winning and losing overall, you have to consider Jeffrey Lurie is one of the top 10, 12 owners in the National Football League. Derek, great stuff.
2: Appreciate you hopping on board with us. Know how busy we're going to keep you this week. Thanks for sharing a couple of minutes with us here today. I'll be watching you all week, brother. Thanks.
8: I appreciate it, guys.
2: Have a great day. That's Derek Gunn, going to be a big part of the Jacob Media Channel coverage <clears throat> leading up to the draft. We've got a lot more yet to come today here on Birds 365, including hearing from one of the reporters who was just referenced Done a lot of reporting behind the scenes on the Eagles organization this offseason. Jeff McLean of The Inquirer joins us next here on Bird's 365.
4: If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The, the, the The
5: Middle. Did you hear that sound of that that iron (laughs) shot? (laughs) If you want to talk
6: about a solid golf shot, that's what it sounds like.
2: There are very few sounds of
6: purity. That's as pure as it gets. I've never heard it before. Yeah. (laughs) Look, you and me both, brother. Never heard it before. (laughs)
3: Never.
6: You
7: and me both at that point. Jeez.
3: (sighs) The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern.
7: Connecticut School of
6: Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit
0: GoCSB.com.
5: Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
2: This is Birds 365 with the Mac and guy, John McMullen and Jody McDonald. Thank D-Gun for popping aboard with us. He is going to be very involved with our lead up to the draft coverage right here on the Jacob Media channel. Um, D-Gun has such a great feel for the Eagles and has for all the years that he worked for NBC Sports Philadelphia. Because he's just a people guy. I think that's a key element to being as good a reporter as D-Gunn is. People have to trust you. People have to like you. And I think he got that rapport with more Eagle players than Eagle executives. We asked him plenty about Howie Roseman and Jeff Morey. Mm. But um, the Eagle players always seemed to like D-Gunn, and they were willing to tell him stuff.
3: Yeah, no question about it. He did uh, build those relationships, uh, you know, a little bit easier pre print Pandemic than it is now. We're not allowed. That's what I kind of said. Being in the locker room, you can get more of a uh, a feel for things, how guys are relating uh, towards each other. But yeah, nobody was ever better at it than Derek Gunn in this town. Draft takes with Derek Gunn. So that's going to be on the Jacob Media Channel, Birds Three Sixty Five. We're also on the Philly Voice the Middle with Aton and Harry and Brandon Brooks. A lot of draft coverage this week, Jody. A lot of draft coverage. Uh,
2: What the Eagles are going to do in the draft. We talked about the fact that they had 11 picks, which is a good thing. The more picks, the the better position you should be in. Do I think they're going to take 11 new players? Probably not. Even though the Eagles need to add some young, inexpensive talent to their roster because they have the cap situation with their current players the way that it is does not hurt to get rookie contracts and rookie contributors or in their second year or in their third year where they're still on the rookie deal and have them uh, step in and give you big
9: contracts. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
2: Contribution. So these are valuable picks that the Eagles have because of the stage that their roster reconstruction is in. But 11 is more than anyone can expect. So chances are how he's going to move some of these picks. Do you think there's a better chance he will move them for future picks? Sometimes you've got a fifth round pick that you can turn around and trade for a fourth in a future year because the team receiving him gets to step in and use them right away. You've got to wait a year for it. Or do you think it's more likely he use these picks to actually move up in ongoing rounds in the draft as it's coming down? on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday?
3: Well, I think he'd like to move up for players that he's targeted because one of the things we haven't gotten into, Jody, is this unique draft. The pool is much smaller this time for a number of reasons. One, uh, the NCAA gave a lot of guys that extra year because of the pandemic so they can come back. So typically we start at whatever it is, 1,300, 1,400 players. It's a much smaller group this year. It's like 700, 800. So the thought around the league is that the later rounds, especially the fifth, sixth, seventh, are going to be less valuable than ever. So you either want to trade out and get into next year's draft, or you're going to have probably 1,500, that pool, or – you want to trade up to get the players that are really good in this draft, which probably drops off pretty significantly at 150 or so. Um, but everybody knows that. So it's not as easy as snapping your fingers and right. saying, I want to go up. Now, other teams want to do the same thing because it's a finite amount of prospects that people think are have the potential to be really good players. So while it's great to have 11 picks, this is probably the worst year ever to have <laughs> 11
2: picks. But I'm telling you, guaranteed, as sure as I'm sitting here, the Eagles will get a player on day three in the draft. Oh, sure. That they will talk up immensely because. Oh,
3: they'll get he, Everybody, they'll talk up immensely.
2: He was outstanding at rock, paper, and scissors. I can mm. almost guarantee you that that's going to be the case. They will and, have someone today flat out love because of his competitive juices were flowing in rock paper scissors against Coach Sirianni. I can't
3: we get. I can't wait till we get the first question about rock paper scissors to a to a, a prospect. Did you play rock paper scissors with Nick Sirianni?
2: That's pretty much a given to be one of the questions for whoever they take and make available to us after the fact. I I did ask Derek Gunn, as I did you about the quarterback situation. He was a bigger Carson Wentz believer than I am. And God bless him for sticking to his guns. He always liked Carson. I admit I did a 180 on the guy. If the reporting is accurate uh, that he just let Jalen Hurts get in his head this year because the Eagles used the second round draft pick. If the reporting is accurate that as soon as Jalen Hurts replaced him, visions of playing elsewhere started to dance in Carson Wentz's head as to where he could be playing, if not Philadelphia, with his next team. That's a non-competitor. That's a quitter to me. So I have changed my opinion on Carson Wentz. I was a big fan with what he showed me this year, and I know it's easy to quit when a guy stinks. Oh, and yes, he did stink this year. But I'm, I'm not a hater because he stunk on the field. I'm more of a hater now because of the way that he handled himself and the way that I think he handled the game of football on a competitive nature. I, I'm sorry. Best of luck, Indianapolis Colts. I don't know what you just acquired from the Eagles. Um, but he stuck by him and said the players stuck by him as well and said he did all the right things that even when he was replaced, he still was a guy who would uh, do what he needed to do in the quarterback room to help the starting quarterback that had become Jalen Arch prepare for the games. That did come as a bit of a surprise for me. I didn't think he was going to be a jerk. I didn't think he was going to uh, rabble rouse or anything like that, but I had not heard before that he was still <clears throat> a good contributor in the quarterback room. Even when Jalen hurts took over, didn't look like it on the sidelines to me.
3: Well, a couple things. One look, I'm I, am i i like Carson personally. I'm very uh, upfront about that. Um, that hasn't changed for me. I I do think where where Derek and I dipper he's got a little bit of a aloofness to him that rubs people the wrong way. I think that's the disconnect. He keeps to himself a little bit. And when you are the base of the franchise, when you are the leader of the team, you know, people expect things out of you. They expect you to be I don't know, very in, engaging They expect you to bring everybody in. And Carson was like, Carson was a very hard worker uh, as far as getting himself into shape, as far as doing those types of things. When he was coming back from the back surgery, he lost weight uh, to make it easier on his back. When he started feeling healthier, he built up his body uh, to where he was really powerful. He would do all these types of things in an individual fashion, I think on the field, his biggest problem was he didn't work hard at where he should have worked hard at, and that was the mechanics and the fundamentals. Um, in that he he regressed there, but relationship wise, and that's why I brought up with Derek: sixty-five guys aren't always going to get along. Mm-hmm. Well, there's always the exception to the rule. I th- I do think sixty-five guys liked. Uh, like Jalen Hurts. He just has that natural magnetism. You mentioned Derek Dunn connecting with people. That's what Jalen Hurts does. I don't think Carson does it. I think it's more difficult for him. But guess what, Jody? I think it's difficult for Aaron Rodgers. It works. I think it's difficult for Tom Brady at times. It works. I think Carson Wentz is more the rule, and Jalen Hurts is the exception when it comes to engaging people the problem with Carson Wentz, the only problem with Carson Wentz, he didn't perform. He played poorly, and when you play poorly, all those deficiencies, all those flaws, are going to be magnified. Whereas, again, I bring up Rogers because Rogers can be a very aloof guy. It doesn't matter because he's the MVP of the league, well, so nobody's going to say anything.
2: Let me follow up there. You said the only problem with Carson Wentz is he didn't perform. I can't comprehend that. You were the guy, more than anyone else, who I would have my WIP show every single week during the season, straight through to the last game of the year, who told me, who basically won me over, that Carson Wentz's problems were in big part the fact that he couldn't handle the Eagles taking a quarterback back around that That it was a mental issue with Carson Wentz and it was in his head. And that's why he struggled. Well, isn't that part of it? Isn't that part of the only problem with Carson
3: Wentz? Yeah. I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. That part played into him playing poorly. I think that was one of the big things about him playing poorly. In other words, uh, I'm, I'm bringing up Aaron Rodgers too much, but the correlations are there because of Jordan Love. Yep. Aaron Rodgers did not like that a little bit. I mean, he hated that the Green Bay Packers took Jordan Love. What did he do with it? He said, I'm, I'm not going to pay, just like Brett Barber to him, by the way, I'm not going to pay n- any mind to this kid. It ain't my job to get him ready, and he's just going to play at an MVP level. That's what Carson could have done, but he let it affect him. But I'm saying what I'm saying, which is not mutually exclusive, Jody. Bottom line is if he played well, none of that matters if he's upset. That's what I'm trying to say. He was very upset that that team drafted Jalen Hurts, and that was part of the fracture with the front office and Howard Roseman and Jeffrey Lord.
2: And I guess the point I'm trying (laughs) to make is, I could have lived with the god-awful season that Carson Wentz had. Uh, hey, everybody has an off year. Maybe not as off as Carson's was, but you can have a bad game, a bad series of games, a bad half a season, even a bad full year. I could have been okay with that and been optimistic. All right, uh, the guy uh, got killed on the offensive line. What, what do you expect when Brooks goes down as early as he did and Lane Johnson is in and out of the lineup as often as he was? Uh, yes, the wide receiver group that they put together, Jalen Rager, didn't exactly blossom in year one. Fulgham had to come in off a scrap heap and be his best wide receiver. There was a lot of explanations as to why Carson Wentz could have had an awful game. If the number one is that he couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that they took a quarterback in the second round, well, then I don't want that guy on my team going forward. I'm not going to bend over backwards to find the other explanations as to why his performance and the team performance stunk. The guy's not mentally tough enough to be a starting quarterback in the National Football League, if that's the case. That's why I point that out. That's why I say I kind of did a 180 on Carson Wentz. I still think he's got a skill set. I still think he's a take charge guy on the field when things are going right and can lead men. <clears throat> but I just can't believe that he let that get inside his head as much as he did and shame on
3: him for it. Well, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I would say it's not rare. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. And again, I bring up You go back to Joe Flacco with Lamar Jackson, Joe Placco's in town. Joe Flacco did not like the Baltimore Ravens drafted Lamar Jackson Um, Quarterbacks I mean and and forget about quarterbacks Cody the the whole setup Of the NFL if you think about It is weird because they Expect you as a veteran player To mentor your eventual Replacement a lot Of guys whether it's a defensive Lineman offensive lineman wide receiver Tight end what have you safety whatever Any position they don't want any Part of that any part of that Because their job is to keep their Job and take care of their family so that I have no issue with him not being upset, with him being upset about the Eagles draft and Jalen Hurts. What I have an issue with is he let it affect his performance. So that part we agree on. But his performance is everything. Because there is no difference between him and Rodgers other than Rodgers said, I don't like what you did. I don't agree what you did. You didn't help me take advantage of my shelf life, but I'm going to go play at an MVP level. Carson let it affect him. He regressed and we are where we are. And I agree with you that
2: it's kind
3: of counterintuitive
2: to say, oh, by the way, we're drafting a player who someday is going to take your job. We're not sure when that's going to happen, but we're doing it for a reason because someday we think they're going to be that starter at that position. That means you're out of a job. How can you expect a guy to come in? Oh, okay, let me help him get up to snuff even faster so that he can take my job. That's ridiculous. All I'm saying is you can't let it affect you. The team has its goals, and you have your own individual (laughs) goals, and you should control what you can control, which is your goals, and be the best player you can be, like Aaron Rodgers did. And Carson Wentz didn't do that. So that's why I say shame on Carson Wentz, and good luck to him in Indianapolis. I know you and I probably talked about this uh, on my radio show when the trade went down, but I don't think I've asked you this on Birds 365 yet. What do you see happening in Indianapolis? Is Frank Wright going to be able to screw Carson Wentz's head back on straight? uh what happens if they decide in this upcoming draft they need to draft a quarterback and take one in the second or third round is that going to put Carson Wentz on tilt again Uh, what kind of
3: season do you think he's going to have for the Colts this year I think he's got a short shelf life I mean I think he's in a lot of ways is the same position as Jalen Hurts he's getting a year to prove he's the guy and if he plays poorly again guess what they're going to start looking at uh, the next guy that They're going to start looking around the corner. And by by the way, they should. He was really bad last season, Jody. I mean, really bad. people can go back to 2017, look, that was pre-injuries. There are significant injuries. The torn ACL, the torn LCL, the back, the stress back injury, the fact that he had the concussion. You have to worry about all these things. There's no guarantee he's going to go back to what he was, what he needs to get back to, it's to be a top 15 level quarterback. Can he do that? I think he has the skill set to do it. I think he's in a better position to do it, not only because uh, it's a new uh, start for him. I, I think the Midwest is a better fit for him. Um, all those things. Uh, is he going to be better than Phillip Rivers at whatever he was, 39 years old? I don't think so. I don't think he's going to be better than Phillip Rivers was
2: last year. And if that's the case, then I don't know if the Colts are a playoff team, if he can't be better than what Philip River was. Uh, here's a question I know I haven't asked you yet, and it's a difficult question because you don't cover the Indianapolis Colts. You cover the Philadelphia Eagles, but you got an eye on the whole league. How much is Frank Wright going to miss Nick Sirianni? Nick has told us a lot about the relationship between the two and how much he thinks Frank taught him and what uh, leeway Frank gave him to be a play caller and contribute to uh, Mm -hmm. the play calling week in and week out and the fact that he was strictly an offensive guy and is loving be the head coach because now he gets to dip his toe in on the defensive pool. But how much is Sirianni's leaving Indianapolis to come here to Philadelphia going to affect Frank Reich and his Colts?
3: I think it's going to affect him. I I mean, Jody, anytime you lose a good coach, it affects you. You saw it, Andy Reid. Andy Reid's first half here was my God, it was a list of heavyweights. And then you start to lose them to other jobs as you have some success. We know what did losing Frank Reich mean to Dick Peterson. Well, people will tell you everything. So the minute you lose good coaches, you're probably not going to replace them with better coaches. The odds are they're there for a reason. So that said, it is Frank Reich's offense. So in theory, uh, he should be able to keep it going in a positive direction. But I always think, and that's the problem. I mean, we see it happen all over with coaches with significant trees. They start losing good assistants. And it becomes difficult to replace it. It's just the way of the NFL.
2: We'll see if Frank Reich can do that with Nick Sirianni coming up in uh, the next couple of years while Sirianni <laughs> gets to make his way here in Philadelphia. But now I'm all uh, bummed out because John has informed me that there really isn't collaboration going on, that <laughs> Howie Roseman is going to well, do whatever collaboration. he wants and or whatever <laughs> Jeffrey Lurie tells there's- him, who is going to be told by Alec Halibay who to take – during the draft i i was beginning to kid myself that the coaching staff and the scouting staff was working as one uh, as per their uh, press gathering the other day apparently john has just put me back in my place and said there's
3: too much collaboration you could argue too much I, altruistic uh, collaboration creates other issues We'll see if that's the case.
2: All right, coming up in the next couple of minutes, we'll get one of the best reporters. John said the best reporter who covers the Eagles on a day in, day out basis. I, I up until today, or maybe I should say up until last week, I would have always said John McClain. <laughs> uh, now I don't know so much because he's so uh, beholden to the Eagles, taking a big guy with the first pick in the draft. But uh, Jeff McClain, uh will be aboard with us. He'll be uh, joining us to talk about the upcoming draft here on Birds 365.
4: If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.
5: The, the, the Middle. Did you hear that sound? Yeah. Yeah. That, that iron yeah. shot. If you want to talk about a solid golf shot, that's what it sounds like.
6: There are very yeah. few sounds of purity. That's as pure as it gets. I've never heard it before. Yeah. (laughs) Look, you and me both, brother.
9: Never heard
6: (laughs) it before. Never. (laughs) You and me both at that point. Jeez.
3: (sighs) The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern.
7: Welcome to the Wildwoods. The perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap. Go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way.
6: Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB
0: Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com.
5: Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. It is
2: the Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, we still got uh, 30-some-odd minutes left to play today, and it will be a productive 30-plus minutes because we're lucky enough to have joining us now from the Philadelphia Inquirer, Mr. Jeff McClay. Jeff, Johnny Mac and Johnny Mac here. How hey, are you guys. prepping for this week's draft?
1: I'm sorry, I missed the last comment. What was that?
2: I said, how are you enjoying your prepping for this week's Oh, uh, yeah.
1: It's going great. We're almost
3: there. Finally to the finish line. Almost there, Jeff. Over analysis. Uh, uh, too much by this. Paralysis by overanalysis. But thrilled to have you. Everybody should check out Jeff's work at inquire.com. You've done uh, really good stuff on Howie Roseman. Uh, day three picks when you're comparing successes like Joshua to uh, unsuccessful picks like Sharif Miller. But I do want to start with the disconnect in the front office because you've been at the forefront of the reporting there. And basically, it comes down to who Howie Roseman is listening to and the consistency of it. I think that's the biggest part. There's no consistency. Yeah, I would agree with that.
1: Uh, That, you know, at least from what I've heard in in my reporting, that if there's an issue with Howie, uh, and there's probably several, but I think one of the the big themes is that every year it's okay. I'm going to listen to this group more than the other group, or I'm going to listen to the, other, to more to the other group than this group, or I'm going to, um, you know, open it up to a larger group as opposed to a smaller group. And it, and it just seems like how he doesn't have a consistent formula. And that's one of the reasons why there hasn't been consistency in, in the drafting of players,
2: uh, specifically over the last five years. Does Howie Roseman use all the tools that he has in his toolbox basically on a day-in, day-out basis? Scouts, analytics, all the people on the staffs and the like. It has all come into question that it doesn't seem to fit or doesn't seem to balance. Howie's the guy who's got to drive that train. He is the vice president, general manager. Uh, I know Jeff Lurie is the owner, but Howie's supposed to be the one who's dealing hands-on with all these people. Is he doing a good enough job?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, if you look at the the results the last five years, he hasn't. Um, no, I think there's been been some misconception about how he's draft board. How his draft board is the Eagles' board, right? So he has to kind of look at each department the scout, the scouting department, the you know the coaching staff, the analytical department. Obviously, he's factoring Jeffrey Lurie's input as well, although probably more than than most GMs would when it comes to an owner. And from all that, he's got to cobble together his own draft board. But I think what and i reported this last week, and and it's been out there before too, is that from the scouting department, this is their job, obviously, to to evaluate these players in in the draft. And a lot of cases when you're an area scout, you're living with these guys. You're on campus. You're talking to people. You're doing the investigative work. So you may understand the players more than the guys. The coaches are coming in late to the process. And uh, the frustration that's come from that department is that you know, Howie's board doesn't reflect – Howie's slash the Eagles board doesn't reflect as much of what they have put into the process as perhaps some of the other areas. And I think with Howie, you know, it's a tough job. He's got to kind of you – know, he's got to balance the scales from all these departments and figure out who's the best you know, fit for us. And you know, that's, it's not an easy job. And clearly, if you look around the NFL, it's the odds of hitting on players is not good. Uh, the odds up and down the board, especially even in the first round, what do they say? It's like 50% hit rate. Um, those aren't good odds. And Howie hasn't done – and look, I'm not trying to make excuses here for him, but he hasn't done a good enough job of listening to, I guess, maybe the right people or, in his mind, figuring out the best thing. And a lot of times it's just, you know, even on game day, when it comes down to it and they're on the clock and – you know, typically the draft board is set up and you just kind of pick off players, but it's, it's not yeah. that simple. Maybe there's two guys at different positions that you're like, oh, OK, this guy or the other guy. And in some cases, I think there's been some sort of uh, in, on Howie's part, there's been uh, late, you know, late in the game kind of uh, changes. And I think that's kind of frustrated people uh, in the in, you know, in the front office and obviously in the personnel department, in some cases, the coaching department. And that is also reflected in how Jeffrey Lurie's kind of had an increasing role in the draft as well.
3: Yeah, Jeff. I mean, the second round last year, I think is a perfect example of that. You reported that uh, really first and second round, the scouting staff recommended Justin Jefferson, the the Eagles drafted Jalen Rager second round. They recommended uh, Jeremy Chin. They drafted Jalen Hurts. Um, Andrew Brandt was on with us last Friday. He mentioned, Uh, what you just said about those area scouts going out building the board and sort of when you go against the grain when you surprise them you can take the air out of the building is that the sense you've gotten with the scouting department not feeling as valued as as maybe they should be
1: yeah and that's that's frustrating for them and then you have Andy Weil who who is in charge of that uh, that group and he's kind of got to put out a lot of fires or keep you know the enthusiasm up from those guys when they're putting in all the work now look I'm not saying the scouts are perfect they make as many mistakes as the coaches they make as many mistakes as as Howie but I think for them they it's they don't really understand the process to an extent because the communication isn't great and there's been uh, you know Howie is understandably to some extent secretive about what is happening but you know as I've reported in a story i wrote a pretty uh, lengthy story about Howie in March it's that a lot of what how how he handles people is kind of one on one, which works in certain cases, but in other cases it doesn't. So everything is kind of uh, clandestine, and you don't and and a lot of uh, the scouts or the coaches don't know what the other department thinks about a player because howie's the one who's kind of delivering the message, and and stuff isn't handled as much in a group setting, and so therefore it's like not everybody's on the same page and there needs to be a more of a collaborative effort between those departments. And uh, in regards to the first round last year, you look, you know, when I, when you say that the scouting staff preferred Justin Jefferson, the way they, the way the board that the board that they had set up would have Jefferson ahead of Rager. So, you know, the way the draft unfolded, Jefferson would have been the guy for them. Uh, And the same thing applied in the second round chin would have likely been the guy. That they selected. There were a couple other players in, in that uh, in that area that maybe they would have taken at other positions, but that's you know from what I've heard from through my reporting, those would have been the guys. And and Rager was you know look that doesn't say that that doesn't mean there were some scouts that didn't like Rager uh, or you know didn't like him a little bit, but they you know to them Jefferson was a layup and the chin one. Well, we all know what happened there with Jalen Hurts getting selected ahead of him. That was yeah. that was uh, that was a, obviously a gamble. Um, from Howie Roseman, with Jeffrey L- Lurie certainly on the sidelines cheering him on.
2: All right, Jeff. There is one significant change for the Eagles between the last draft and this draft, and it's the coaching staff. Doug Peterson yeah. let go, all of his coaches gone. Um, it would only make football sense that the coaching staff this year would should be less influential than last year's coaching staff, because last year's coaching staff, for a large part, was a Super Bowl-winning coaching staff. All right, they had gone backwards the next two years. Well, it was not far off that they were a Super Bowl-winning coaching staff. This year's staff is a wet-behind-the-ears staff with Nick Sirianni, having never been a head coach before, and everyone else new to the Philadelphia Eagles and the area and the organization. Yet it seems, by the one thing we can judge, putting of the staff together, Nick Sirianni's got more gravitas than Doug Peterson ever had, that he was allowed to be a guy to, if not directly tab his assistant coaches, have major influence on that. According to the press gathering they had last week, the collaborative effort of this coaching staff and the scouting staff is good as it's ever been that they were throwing bouquets back and forth pretty good between those two entities. <laughs> Do you believe any of it? Well, yeah, I, no. I mean,
1: um, in terms of uh, Nick's involvement in the coaching staff, I, I don't think it's anything different than, than what, you know, Doug was involved. Doug was talking to, to scouts as you know, a lot too. Um, certainly as it relates to the, the quarterback and Carson Wentz was his first pick. I mean, Doug was heavily involved in in the drafting of him, um, so I, I, don't think that Nick's, uh, the coaching staff is any more involved. Um, you know, they have to understand what they want in terms of their scheme, what kind of, uh, players they want in terms of their skill set, what fits into their, their system. So certainly the coaching staff is going to be involved in that way. And they'll look at certain players and they'll give the recommendations. But I, I do agree with the notion that maybe, you know, this allows because this, this is a process that, that begun as early as last May that maybe you'll lean a little more on the scouts and that will help you. And, and, and to the Eagles credit, if you look at the last two coaching changes and the drafts that followed um, those coaching changes, 2013 uh, with Chip Kelly, that was a, that was a very successful draft for them. Lane Johnson at number four, Zach Ertz in the second round, Benny Logan gave him some, gave him, you know, solid years a uh, pretty solid third round pick. Mac Barkley wasn't a backup quarterback. He's still playing in the NFL. And then in 2016 Carson Wentz, obviously that hasn't really panned out as well, but they did win a Super Bowl with him. Uh, you had Isaac Sayamalo in the third round, Jalen Mills in the late, latter rounds, Holly Puli, Vaitai. So that wasn't a horrible draft as well. So maybe that, you know, maybe if you look at those, both those cases, it wasn't as much of uh, the coaching influence because they hadn't been around. They hadn't, uh, had as much uh, say in terms of what the players they wanted. And maybe the Eagles are thinking the, the same this time around. Okay, we know what kind of guys maybe that help us here, but let's rely more on the scouting staff and let's get the best guys, at, at, you know, that we can get at each of our picks. Certainly we want to we factor in the scheme as well, but let's just get good players in the building.
3: Hey, Jeff, real quick, is that a St. Joe's prep hat? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, prep. there we go. Our producer Xander mentioned it. He's a big Saint, he he went to St. Joe Prep. Yeah. So no, I gotta give him a shout. My son
1: goes. Well, my son, and then my other son's going, and then obviously the other one will probably go there. So the prep, not me, me yeah. graduate. I, I wasn't <laughs> smart enough to get in the prep.
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let's get it back to the Eagles as we tend to do on birds three sixty-five. But you know, last year's process, we've talked about the communication between scouting, owner, GM, analytics department. Obviously, it was very strange. Everybody's in a different spot. We're on Zoom right now. Yeah. Uh, uh, StreamYard. Do you think that affected things? And now that at least they'll be able to come back to a, a, a more normal environment, do you think that could help the communication aspect as they move forward this season? Well, you know, I think that factored into it a little bit. But,
1: of course, we saw in previous drafts when they were all in the same room that we still had bad selections as well uh but uh, from what i've heard from people involved in the process yeah i mean there was going into it there was uh a sentiment that oh boy we can't leave howie alone <laughs> <laughs> uh you know making some of these picks and you couldn't kind of weigh the entire room when when they were on the clock or as they got closer to the clock and they had a plan before each round. um and actually, you know, before each day about what they were going to do, and in terms of let's say look at the second round, I think they knew going into that day that okay maybe Jalen Hurts is a possibility, and they you know Howie had even called uh, Wentz earlier that day and told him about it. Um, but that being said, yeah, I, I do agree that it it, it should help uh, versus last year. There was some concern that you know Howie may go off the reservation. Uh, and, you know, he only has so much time He can't to get somebody on the phone Or whatever it is I don't know how many faces they can have in a screen who you're listening to Well, I'm sure Doug was in the Doug, Andy, and Jeffrey Were probably the only three other guys That he really consulted before uh, Those picks were made And let's say uh, I'm just For argument's sake here Let's say Andy's like Okay, Jeremy Chin When well, you have Jeffrey And then you have Doug And then you have uh, Howie champion Jalen Hurts Well, who's Howie going to go with? He's going to go with Jalen Hurts
2: All right, a triple Mac attack here on Birds 365 because you got McDonald, McMullen, and McLean here today. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to need you to break a tie for us. You need to be the tie-breaking Mac. Um, Mm -hmm. McBone and I have been debating uh, since Birds 365 started as to what the Eagles are going to do at pick number 12. We know they (coughs) traded down from six. They're sitting at 12. Could trade up, could trade back, assuming they say at 12. I have a theory and a philosophy. John has a theory and a philosophy. Mine is they're going to be very talented players at positions of need that fit the value chart at number 12. And that is either a wide receiver or a cornerback. John suggests the Eagles history is they stay inside when they're in the top half of the first round, be it offensive line, defensive line, or quarterback. We all assume they're not going quarterback. Howie Roseman may shock us. We'll see. Um, I need to know who you think the Eagles are going to take and who you would take if you were sitting in Howie Roseman's position. Would you go inside, outside? Do you think the Eagles would go inside or outside?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you both have very strong arguments uh, that you've made because if you do look at uh, Howie and typically if they have a pick that high, it's been on the offensive or defensive lines or at least around that area. Um, Geez, the last time they had a pick that high and didn't take a lineman or a quarterback. Um, it was 88. Keith and it's been a while. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. so I agree with uh, John there. But oh. being said, just the way the class <laughs> is set up, there aren't really a lot of, you know, there's some good offensive linemen, but uh, is that a great position of need for the Eagles? If, God, if there's a defensive tackle that was uh, highly rated, I think that would be the no-brainer for the Eagles this this year if, if it kind of laid out that way. Uh, defensive end, there's some good guys. Um, there's some concern about the, the strength of the class overall. Uh, <laughs> that is certainly a position that you could look at with Brandon Graham getting up there and Derek Barnett's only a one-year deal. Uh, do you think Josh Wetz is a starter? I mean, that's a position they could address as well. But just looking at the draft, I, I think I'm kind of leaning a little towards Jody in that because there's there's quality cornerbacks and wide receivers in that in that middle of the uh, middle of the first round that that just may be the way it plays out. Um, I don't know if it's gonna you know it depends how many quarterbacks are gonna go. The, the key is whether it's you know Mac Jones or uh, Justin Field. Whether there are five quarterbacks that go before the Eagles, if that happens, they should have a good. They should have one of the three guys. I think maybe certain uh, Jalen uh, Waddell, or Devonta Smith. One of those three guys, if they were to fall to them i would think they would have any hes- hesitancy picking them uh, that being said you know, i mean i do kind of i do agree with john, john in that you know you got to consider what, the way how he's drafted in the past um if, the, if if those are the guys and they don't love, they don't um, feel strongly about drafting them at that spot do they trade back and accumulate more picks i mean they already have 11 do they need any more you know i don't know um, but i'm i'm leaning towards one of those three guys being yeah.
2: all right uh, we praised you before you came on. I said, one of the things that's great about Jeff McLean is he gives you both sides of the story. When the Eagles are good, he knows how to paint the great looking picture. When the Eagles are screwing things up, he's not afraid to call guys on the carpet. You agreed with both of us. Make a call. Is it going <laughs> to be inside or outside? Yeah. Which way are they going? I'm not, uh,
1: yeah, I'm a reporter, uh, train to be a reporter. You're not going to get many uh, strong <laughs> opinions from me, at least on
3: the record, you're not. Um, yeah, Jeff, uh, well, Jody tends to, you know frame things the way he wants to frame things. So I always yeah. go back to Andy Reed and what he said this first interview, which was that famous quote. Now give me the, the quarterback two rush pass rushers, two tackles and two cornerbacks. He did say and two cornerbacks. Yeah. So, and then I'll figure out the rest. So I did leave open the door for the cornerbacks, Sir yeah. Kane and JC Horn, but I want to give you three players because I think this is a, a possibility. And this is one that would throw a curveball. If you do have J.C. Horn there at 12, if you do have Jalen Waddell there at 12, which I don't think he's going to be there. But the third one, if you have Rashawn Slater there and he falls, what, what way do you think the Eagles would go? Because then I would say they would default to Rashawn Slater
1: uh yeah well l- let's look at their situation i mean lane johnson is coming off the you know nagging in- uh, ankle injury that he's had now had multiple surgeries for he's get over 30 i mean i, th- I think lane could- i think lane's got another five years left in him so i i don't think that's a huge con- concern for them and you have two guys battling at a left tackle with jordan Mailata and andre Diller, but have either i can you say that i you're confident about either of those guys going into the season as being your, your starting left tackle for whatever amount of time. Uh, no. Um, and certainly if you draft someone like Slater, you can move them inside if you want. Um, you have Brandon books coming off of the coming off surgery. I mean, look, we saw in the Super Bowl uh, how important the offensive line is. We see it all the time. There's so many examples of it. And the Eagles have always been one of the teams uh, that has great depth at that position. So you can't, Uh, discount that possibility um i don't know i mean uh jc horn has some concerns about you know if you look at the film with him uh did he coast uh was he relying too much on his athleticism uh you know he's one of these projection guys are you i don't know if he's a slam dunk uh like i think patrick sertain is viewed as being i would of those three i think waddle would be the guy uh Certainly with wide receiver, you wonder after drafting Jalen Braggard, do you want to expend another first-round pick on the position? If you look at historically the position, if you draft the receivers at high, do they, does that correlate to a Super Bowl, or, or does, it have, does that position have that great of an impact on winning teams? Probably not. Um, you can get receivers other ways. So I don't know. Uh, it's a tough call. There, there isn't an obvious uh, pick for the Eagles. Drafting back certainly opened uh, you know, opened it up for a lot more guys to consider. I know that's why a lot of Eagles fans didn't like the move. I com- I completely understood it when you were getting a first rounder uh, next year. Yeah, because it looks like I mean, there's a chance that Jamar Chase uh, may be there at number six, and the Dolphins Dolphins take him, and this guy turns into a Hall of Famer. You're never going to hear the end of it, but yeah. Um,
3: you he never hear the end of DK Metcalf, and I—I I don't think he was on the Eagles' board because of, because he was medically red flagged. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, I reported that last January. That uh, I mean, they were one of many teams that dropped. Yeah. They drafted. They dropped him down to like third or fourth round area yeah. because of the neck concern. They weren't the only team that that hadn't dropped because of medical concerns. Um, certainly, you could fault them because of that. Uh, the bigger issue there was taking JJ. Uh,
3: now, Jeff, Jeff, one follow up. Sorry, Jody. Because one guy that intrigues me is Jalen Phillips, and that's why I brought up the medical red flag. Yeah. And, and this team has had so many issues with uh, the medical part of it and, and changing uh, the medical team. Could they even have the political capital to put a guy – because to me, that's a top-10 talent. If you yeah. didn't have the concussion issues, if you didn't have uh, the sort of short-term retirement, and that's edge rusher. That's a position of need, at a position they value, but do they even have the political capital to consider somebody like a Jalen Phillips? Yeah, I mean, you'd hope at number twelve, you're not taking a
1: guy that you're concerned about whether you you know not only medical, and then obviously you mentioned the uh, the retirement. I mean, you know, that's those are some red flags. You want the guy to be clean across the board, and. You know, he isn't the only one. There's other first-rounders in this draft that uh, have medical concerns. They're really talented players, and and they're dropping because of that. Um, sometimes it's uh, false information that's meant to <laughs> hurt a player's stock. But, uh, you know, we saw how it panned out for them taking a gamble on a guy coming off a significant injury with uh, Cindy Jones back in 2017. Is that something they want to kind of avoid? And I felt like that probably factored into the whole DK Metcalf about, uh, you know, dropping of him, uh, there were teams that obviously didn't uh, view his injury as a major concern and and picked him, uh, the Seahawks. Uh, so it'll come down to the medical evaluations uh, that the Eagles uh, staff has made when it comes to to Phillips um, and also uh, Farley as well, who maybe has the most talented cornerback. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the back surgery is really a concern. And do you really want to expend that high of a pick on someone uh that has an injury that could be something that's uh chronic
2: jeff tough question for you and i acknowledge ahead of time it's tough question because we're dealing with a COVID world you don't have the usual access that you would in previous years here in the national (laughs) football league the new eagle coaching staff we know this much about them they're young compared to the other coaching staffs around the league they are as young if not the youngest coaching staff in the nfl yeah are they going to be good teachers the the most important thing is what you do on Sundays making the right decisions having guys in the right place being able to win football games but there's a whole bunch of preparation that goes into it before you get to Sunday before you get to that first Sunday in the off season and everything else how good a teaching coaching staff do you think we now have here in Philadelphia uh,
1: that's that's what I, that's the key thing Jody uh is how is can they teach i mean the age is an issue because you worry about uh, how guys will view certain uh, coaches based upon that. Uh, you know, I did the, I ran the numbers up, the Eagles head coaching head coach and their coordinators, uh, the combined uh, age is the youngest in the NFL. And, you know, they have the youngest uh, coordinator at uh, special teams, Michael Clay. They have the youngest position coach with Nick Rouse with the linebackers only 27, um, you know, you know 27 years old i mean there's players a lot of players that are going to be older than than nick um on on the team but that being said if they believe in him and his teachings and if they believe in uh you know what he's selling to them and he uh you know is genuine and and garners their respect based upon his uh you know how he works then i don't see it being a major issue um that being said we don't know much about these guys. Only one of the coordinators is actually, and if you include Nick in there, has that ever called plays in the NFL. And that. Um, Shane is, Steichen. Uh, uh, Steichen. Yeah. And, and he really only did it for one year and he's not even doing it in Philadelphia. It's going to be Nick Sirianni who calls the plays. So there's a lot of an unknown, a lot of unknowns with this coaching staff. Uh, and I think it's fair to, to could be concerned about that um i'm willing to give them the benefit of doubt uh we've seen this before with, you know andy Reid, uh never called plays in the nfl and then uh, before he became a head coach uh doug peterson really didn't call plays in kansas city they had something about him calling plays occasionally in the second half of games mm-hmm. but uh doug ended up being a pretty good play caller as well chip kelly never called plays and never called plays in the nfl obviously called plays at the collegiate level but um, so I'm willing to give Nick uh, Sirianni and his staff the benefit of doubt, but it's you know it's tough to really kind of have any really evaluation based upon a record because there isn't one.
3: Yeah, and Nick, uh, the emotion, the enthusiasm he showed, uh, especially in the pre-draft availability, some people took that poorly, some people loved it. I thought it was great. I thought he put a breath of fresh air into, you know, Andy and Howie looked like they didn't want to be there, Jeff. Um, I thought he took over the dais, so to speak. I thought it was a positive. I thought he showed a little bit of something instead of just being a third wheel. But that's all we have. That's all we can read into. We don't yeah. know a lot about him. I, I think you're right. You got to give in the benefit of the doubt. But veteran players, do you think that they will – take, uh, uh, you know, take that same vein and say, let's give this guy a chance because, or will they be put off by sort of the high school rah-rah stuff?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I've talked to players and, and coaches who've worked with Nick before, and it seems to go over fairly well, but now you're the head coach. It's a little different than being a position coach or coordinator. Uh you know, I think the worst thing that Nick can do is not be himself. Uh, you have to be a genuine person uh, at, at the NFL level if you're the head coach. You just can't kind of act tough or act this, that, or the other thing. Be yourself. And from what I can gather, what we've seen over the Nick these last few press conferences or what we've seen from him, uh, the interviews he's done with the Eagles' website, is that's very much his personality. So I think that's good. I don't know if it's going to sell or not. Uh, certainly there will be some guys that maybe look at him. Um you know, with an eye up uh, in terms of his personality uh, and maybe some of the high schoolish kind of stuff, uh, the way that's been portrayed. Um, but you know, they brought back Brandon Graham. They brought back Jason Kelsey. Uh, these are guys that are going to set the tempo in the locker room as it relates to Nick. And those guys, we, we've known. I've gotten to know them both very well, uh, decade plus covering them. They're going to give Nick more than the benefit of doubt. And they're going to make sure the rest of the locker room feels that way. Who knows how things play out. But I think initially, yeah, Nick is, has a lot of uh, leeway with the players, uh, as he should. And, um, and you know, I don't know how that's going to go over, but I just think being genuine is the best thing that he can do.
2: All right, J-Mac, and that would be McLean uh, McMullen. Uh, final question, maybe the most important question of the day. Haberdashery. Of the four key individuals on draft <laughs> night, that would be the head coach, the owner, the general manager, and the head of player personnel, Weidel, uh, Sirianni, Lori, and Roseman. How many of them will be wearing Eagles garb? Will they go <laughs> logoed out, Eagles stuff, or will they make a conscious fashion decision on their own on draft tonight to wear something different? Out of the four, how many have... An Eagles outfit on.
1: Uh, all four will have jackets or ties on, and you know maybe a green tie here and there. <laughs> they they dress up for the draft, so
3: yeah, I don't think too do
1: much Eagles garb uh, there. Okay. Um. Yeah,
3: mine's more th- important, Jeff. I want to lock in. Give me number twelve overall, but more importantly, give me number thirty-seven overall. Who are the Eagles staking? Oh, I, two- I, I, I do. I will not be able to help you with 37.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, just so many different players. I mean, like, yes. I just feel like I'm, I don't even know 12. I like, i am having a hard time with this draft and it's funny. I'm I, I believe I'm not the only one. If you talked to a lot of other.
3: Yeah. It's, analysts it's and and
1: I've talked to other, you know, NFL people as well. And they're just, you know, they obviously come up with their own boards and how it plays out. And they just, they're having a really tough hand, uh, Tough to do you know, tough getting a handle. Excuse me, I can't even talk. They're having a tough time getting a handle on how this draft's going to play out. Uh, you know, I think Patrick Sertain's too good to last till 12. Um, I which I, but I do feel like one of the receivers will drop. And uh, reluctantly, I'm, I'm going to say it's going to be Devonta Smith. Whoa. Yeah.
2: Yeah, was, McClay Charlie loves you. That's what we like to hear.
1: Uh, yeah. You know, one of the things that stuck with me was how Nick talked about, you know, uh, they don't need a certain a receiver. To, yeah,
3: he did say that.
1: Yeah, to, to be a certain type of uh, bodybuild, et cetera. And and Devonta Smith's a heck of a player. I mean, obviously you're hearing a lot about the size and how slate he is, and that's a concern. But, geez, don't 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 you know? Don't get caught up in seeing the far. You know, you want to see the big picture with him, and he just can play. He just can run routes, and he can get open, and he's fast. He has every tool except maybe not being huge. Number 37, I don't know.
3: I don't know. Who you guys got? Well, I haven't taken J.C. Horn at 12, most likely. Then I think they need an X receiver, so I want Terrace Marshall, if he's there from LSU, because I think he's that big split-end type. I see some redundancy with Jalen Rager and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. I think they're both kind of Zs, and they'll have tough time getting off press coverage. Uh, but maybe I'm overthinking it at this point. No question about that.
2: Jeff, here's well, re- where the TV. redundancy stops.
3: Jalen Rager
2: will not be first-team All-Pro. I think Devonta Smith has a chance. And who was the last Eagles homegrown wide receiver to be first-team All-Pro?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Uh, Got to go back. But he's still around, Jeff. There's a hint for you. He's still playing in the NFL? No. no. no.
2: He's still around Philadelphia. Still around Philadelphia. Still alive. More quick. Sits in the broadcast booth with Meryl Reese. That's right. Yeah. That's how good I think Devonta Smith is. He can be the first uh, uh, first team All-Pro wide receiver since Mike Quick. Jay McClain, appreciate you hopping on board. Know it's going to be a busy week for you. We'll be reading you all week in the Inquirer. Thanks for coming on Birds 365.
1: All right, guys. Thanks for
2: having me. Thanks, that is Jeff. Jeff McClain of the Inquirer here with us on Birds 365. Oh, he Bye. made
3: you happy, Jody.
2: Yeah, he hedged. I asked him that yeah. question about 25 minutes ago. He said, as a reporter, yeah. I don't want to sound just here to yeah. report the facts, kind of like Dragnet, just the facts, ma'am. Uh, but he did. He gave us an opinion, yeah. and he's with the Mac man. Smart yeah. man going with Devontae Adams.
3: All right, we'll see. We'll Devontae Smith. I'd love Devontae right. Adams. Can I get Devontae Adams? Oh,
2: excuse me. DeB- <laughs> yeah, he's not a bad player either, but he's quite yeah. costly. Jets are going to He's, an, he, on he's an
3: ex, too. He can do the back shoulder stuff. I'll take Devontae Adams.
2: He is John McClane. No, he's not John McClain, He's John McMullen. I am Jody McDonald. We got too many J-Max on this show. We overdid it for you today, folks. But we will come back, put a bow on the show next here on Birds 365.
4: If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.
5: The, 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 middle. the Middle. Did you hear that sound? Yeah. That, that iron <laughs> shot?
6: If you want to talk about a solid golf shot, that's what it sounds like.
2: There are very yeah. few sounds of purity.
6: That's um, as pure as it gets. Um, I've never heard it before. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you and me both, brother. Never
2: heard it before. <laughs> never. <laughs> you and me both at that point. Jeez.
3: The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern.
7: Connecticut School
6: of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center. Training in all that is media. Including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center.
0: Visit GoCSB.com.
5: Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
2: Last couple of minutes of this Monday Draft Week edition of Bird's 60, 365. Mac and Mac guys, J-Mac, J-Mac. Uh, we'll be with you all week long. Lots of coverage leading up to Thursday, day one of the draft, including tomorrow. Here on Bird's 365, Rick Saratella of the NFL Draft Bible on. We had him previously leading up to the week of the draft. We'll have him on now just a couple days before the draft. And a very familiar name for NFL fans, Trey Wingo, the former host of ESPN's coverage of the NFL draft. He used to be Mr. Day 2 with Chris Berman doing Day 1. When Chris stepped aside, Trey stepped in on Day 1 and took over the main coverage, uh, no longer with ESPN. I reached out to Trey over the weekend. He said he would be uh, happy to come on with us on Tuesday, which is tomorrow. And I told him I will promote whatever he wants to. And he said i may have an announcement for you on tuesday there we go i I text him back i go if that that's the best tease i've ever heard as they wouldn't tell me what the announcement was but he said i may have an announcement for you on tuesday so maybe a new project for trey wingo but we'll pick his brain about the draft and be in there and being part of it and the like so we got two good uh uh guests coming your way tomorrow and the breaking news we'll be back in 22 hours The big breaking news around the Eagles in the draft during the next 22 hours will be what, John? Max?
3: Uh, The breaking news is that Jody is on cloud nine because Jeff McClain said Devontae Smith is coming to Philadelphia. I think Jeff – I said Jeff is the best day-to-day reporter covering the Eagles. I believe that, but I think he's wrong on this one. That's the bad news. (laughs) It's the bad news
2: for Jody Mack. Yeah. In other words, there really isn't going to be any breaking news. God bless Howie Roseman for making the deal that he did way back when, moving from six down to 12 to give us something to talk about. Basically, I got to believe every pick, every trade is going to last till Thursday. Nobody's going to do a deal ahead of time because you don't know who's going to be taken off the board. And if you're making that kind of an aggressive move. You're doing so because you're targeting a specific individual. Well, we won't know till the
3: draft gets underway. By the so way, think- you know, I will say one thing, Jody, real quick before sure. we end it. I, I have been talking to a couple of people over the last couple of days who think there aren't going to be many trades anymore in the top 10 because San Francisco gave up so much to get to number three. Atlanta sitting there at number four expects so much. I don't think anybody's going to, going to offer it. So I think ultimately Atlanta stays put, probably takes Kyle Pitts, and that has an effect. And guess what, Jody? When we're talking Devontae Smith, you're going to have number six coming up. And Justin Fields, I think, is still going to be on the board. It should
2: should be very interesting. I and I let me ask you this. I know we got to go, but um, I was watching ESPN yesterday morning and SportsCenter. They had a draft feature. Guy came on talking about the value of the draft picks and using the NFL draft chart and Jimmy Johnson's old one and the new ones that have been, been created over the last couple of years. Um, they talked about how teams are willing to, quote unquote, overpay to move up and take a quarterback. So they tracked every trade up over the last 10, 15 years for a team moving up and then subsequently selecting a quarterback with that pick. And the team that was making the trade down knew that that was probably going to be the case. And they said, in every case, the team overpaid. That was as per the charts prior to the deal coming down. Yeah, Do you think the Kansas City Chiefs believe they overpaid
3: to move up to take Patrick Mahomes? No, not at all. And no. that's the thing. If you hit, it doesn't matter. Nobody will remember. But if you if you make the mistake, if you're Brian Pace and Mitchell Mitch Trubisky. Trubisky. Yeah. <laughs> and you got you got a problem. That's gonna follow you forever. But yeah, I remember, Jody, there's a lot of revisionist history. People were killing the Chiefs for what they gave up to go up and get Patrick Mellon. They're not killing them anymore. No, they pretend those criticisms never existed.
2: Right. Uh, it's real nice to be able to say and Oh, but look at the value chart, yeah. they overpaid. Yeah. Okay. But can we wait a year or two or four or six or eight and see what the player turns out to be before we stamp a trade as an overpayment? No. What the player actually does on the field when he gets on the field is what determines an overpayment. Oh, by the way, it was a steal by the Kansas City Chiefs to be able to get their hands on Patrick Mahomes. Can Howie Roseman pull off a steal on Thursday night and or Friday or Saturday? We'll see. It is draft week. Uh, Be tuned right here at Birds 365. We'll be in our usual slot all week leading up to Thursday night and then again on Friday to analyze the draft pick. Two good guests, Rick Saritello, the NFL Draft Bible, and Trey Wingo, former host of the NFL Draft on ESPN, both will be with us tomorrow. Uh, Partner, go get your arm poked. Mm -hmm. I know you're a tough guy, so you'll be here tomorrow. If I got to carry you, I don't know if I'm up to that, but I'll give it a shot if that's the case. Uh well, you been carry
3: from day one, Jody. You can do it again.
2: <laughs> well, if John's a little under the weather, be ready for the Devonta Smith talk. It'll be coming your way here on Birds 365 tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of Birds 365.
4: If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.
9: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies.